0: the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure, everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. As we move forward through the Old Testament, we learn more and more and more and more about what God expects. To the point where he gets at one point point says, now this is the animal that covers your sin. A perfect lamb. Passover is all about that, so we even see that in in Exodus. Okay, we know the symbolism that when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right, his firstborn only son that carried his own wood and it took three days. I'm not going all that. All right, and then but God stops his hand through an angel stops his hand, and there's a ram. That sacrificed, we haven't received anything about the perfect lamb yet. We just know that there's going to be something that replaces, and Abraham names that place God will provide. Not has provided a lamb, will provide a ram. Okay, and then again in the Old Testament, you have rams used in sacrifices as well. You have the scapegoat used, well, all kinds of symbolism, but right now we're talking about that lamb. So as we progress through Scripture, we get a greater understanding of what this looks like. Here, we get it clear. All that Old Testament lamb stuff, there it is. And the man, Jesus. What I do find intriguing, this is the lamb of God. Genitive, possessive. It's God's lamb. For he himself will provide a lamb. He himself provides the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. It's not like the guilty party—that's us—would bring a lamb. No, 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 no. God, the one to whom the sacrifice is being made on behalf, to appease, to atone His wrath, He provides the lamb. Paul puts it this way: He is not only He is just, but He is the just justifier. I, I'm going to read, read Romans one through five. Okay. The lamb, we know, represents purity, innocence. By the time you get to John's epistle in 1 John 3, 5, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there was no sin. So the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in his epistle, he says, look at that lamb himself is sinless perfect spotless that's why God required it in the Old Testament now I'm going to be honest could there really be physically perfect lamb I don't know I don't know that much about sheep but the idea of substitution the idea of perfection of that sacrifice begins in the Old Testament okay these people who tell you well I'm a New Testament Christian I don't spend any time in the Old Testament then you lost then you have no idea what this statement means if you don't read the Old Testament now, here's a big point. Who takes away the sins of the world? What does the world, cosmos, mean? I've talked to us, but we will do this throughout John. No, because it, John uses the word cosmos, world, more than any other gospel does. We know it doesn't mean every individual. How do I know that? Because the Bible teaches that not every individual's sins are forgiven. That people go to hell. He's not teaching universalism here. To wake away the sins of the world. We forget, again, go read Romans 1 through 5, that the universe itself came under the cost, the punishment of sin because Adam sinned. He's here to take away the sin of the world, all of it. So someday there is a world without corruption. Wood does not rot, my body doesn't break apart. The decay, the entropy we see in the world is going to be gone. You can see why when he is saying this, he's addressing that whole Pharisee Sadducee. One guy believes there is going to be a kingdom like that, and the other guys believe there's not. We don't. Th- we think. Well, the world, the planet, didn't commit sin. No, but again, read Romans. The whole world, the whole universe, the earth is waiting for the sons of God. Groans for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because when it happens, it gets rid of, of all the cost of sin as well. So it, it does include humanity, because I'm going to be there in that new world, you're going to be there in that new world, and you're human. But it also includes the whole universe, a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be redeemed, rescued from the cost of sin. Not just people. I know, I know they tell you, you spend eternity in heaven Floating on a cloud, playing a harp like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. But that's not the case. We, we will rule and reign on a new earth. Not this one. A new earth, we will rule and reign with him, and the whole universe will no longer be under the bondage of sin. So it's not that you have a perfect body in a world that's fallen apart. No, all of it's redeemed. He came to redeem all of it, not just people and the reason, but that works because people mankind being the god's ambassador, representative it affected all of creation. He redeems man, brings it, it affects all of creation. This is whom verse 30. I said, after me comes a man. Now I'm reading from the ESV here, comes a man whose ranks before me Because he was before me. And the reason it reads this way, or mightier than I, or greater than I, depends on which version you want, the word is used twice. He who is before me comes before me. Yeah. That's obvious, isn't it? But one who comes before him can also mean not just in time, which he's already mentioned earlier in this chapter, But it also could mean before me in authority, in rank, in power. So most versions of your Bible relate to that in some way. He's mightier. In what way is he mightier? He has more authority. He has priority over me. He has preeminence over me. Because he was before me even. He's speaking now. We talked about this before. His eternality. He existed before me. Not because Jesus, the man notice it uses the word man, that man didn't have a better body than John, was more handsome than John, was stronger than John. No, he's before me because he's eternal, and I am not. I'm a creature. He's not. We went all the way back to chapter verse one of John, First John, you get that clarity, okay? I'm not repeating that. Verse 31, "I did not recognize him. This speaks to Jesus. True humanity. John, to John, Jesus was, Hey, cuz! Cousin. He was, John, he, was, he was Jesus, my cousin. We sat down and ate burgers together. Kosher ones, of course. okay Or whatever. Our family spent holidays together. I, I just saw him as the person, the man, the human. There was nothing in Jesus' humanity that would make him stand out in the crowd. He looked like any other Jewish fellow, he didn't glow. In the, he didn't have a halo. No matter what you see in the pictures, he didn't have this little thing glowing on his head. He didn't talk in a funny language or in weird words that people didn't understand. He sounded like a Jew from the neighborhood, that neighborhood in Nazareth. He may, probably had an accent like his other the other disciples when they knew where they were from. They can tell by, the, by their by the accent where they were from. Jesus probably had that. So to him, he. Up to this point, he's just cousin Jesus, okay? But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Oh, now he answers that. Why are you baptizing? Remember in that delic-? Now he's telling you why. Okay, so that he would be made known, manifested, revealed to Israel, Verse 32, and John testified saying, let me put it another way. What opened John's eyes? What made John realize he's not just cousin Jesus? What is it that's going to reveal to Israel who he is? I have seen the Spirit descending on him as a dove out of heaven. That's when I realized, yo, this ain't just cousin Jesus. This is something different. Okay, And it remained on him. So did Jesus have a dove walking around, you know, like a pirate with a parrot? No, 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 okay? I did not recognize, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me. So sometime previous, when he, before he starts baptizing, God tells him, you're going to start doing this, and you're going to, when the one you see the Spirit descending and remaining he's the one that's going to come baptize people with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing help. uh, So help me God, right? This is my testimony. And that's based on, we see in the other Gospels, a little more detail of that story. That would be Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3, but let me read from you to you from Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And when Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, but you come to me. Now, does this mean he recognized Jesus as the Messiah? No. Come on. Um, Jesus, I know you're my cousin, but you're a better person than I am. John's walking in this humility, recognizing he's really nothing. To the point where even when just Cousin Jesus come, you know, come on, I, you're a better person than I am. But Jesus entered him. Permitted at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill righteousness. Huh? Okay. Righteousness here being what? That is that Jesus fulfilled the law in every way. So for him to be righteous, sinless, he has to fulfill all the law. Do this so righteousness is fulfilled. Oh, Okay, not quite getting it because you know, he's not revealed. He doesn't know who he is yet. But we do also have to recognize that every priest went through a ritual cleansing before he began his ministry at age 30. Oh, how old is Jesus? 30, he's going through a ritual cleansing. Yeah, he fulfilled all the law, even some of that law that the Pharisees liked. Okay. Then he permitted it. After being baptized, Jesus came immediately up from the water. From the water. How was Jesus baptized? Sprinkled or dunked? Dunked. dunked. I'm not saying sprinkling's bad or wrong. I'm asking you how Jesus was baptized. Okay, so don't do that to me. <clears throat> came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and I saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased i emphasize that because as we go from here into the temptation of christ that is the key phrase okay john said look he was cousin to me but when i heard god's very voice now people ask did other people hear it well i know this john said he came baptizing to reveal to israel who he is not the cross to reveal who He is. Not the miracles to reveal who He is. My assumption is, people heard this, to reveal who He is. John says, I swear it, I saw it, I heard it. He was cousin Jesus till this point. And then God Himself declared Him His Son as the Holy Spirit descended on Him and stayed on Him. I think the theological implications are obvious. You heard me talk about the children. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. So some people argue uh, those are into modalism. This is just God presenting himself in three different forms. That's funny because you have God then talking about himself in three different ways. This is my son. Well, wait a minute. If he is the son in the same person, there are those in the oneness movement, all right, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father are just manifestations, different manifestations, not persons, manifestations of the one God. Okay, Orthodox Trinitarianism is that, that there's one God, one essence, three persons. Why? Because you see God the Father addressing Jesus, this is my, as a person. And the Spirit descended while well, the voice still came from heaven. All right? So it's very strong Trinitarian. Don't let them buy that, that they're manifestations. Well, then one manifestation is talking about the other manifestation. Well, that the other manifestation is landing on the second manifestation. Well, can't God manifest Himself in three different ways at one time? I would imagine. Mm, but Jesus the Son was a person. He had a will. The Father has a will. Well, not my will, but your will. Ooh, two different wills. Do manifestations have will. Ooh, Yeah. I can spend too much time on that. I think that's an obvious one. But the other thing is He comes to cleanse. Now, we talk about cleanse the world from sin. But the idea of atonement... That you see in the Old Testament means cover. So the atonement seat is the cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? So in the Ark of the Covenant, you have the law, the Ten Commandments, correct? Above it, you have the cover with the um, seraphim, right? Or cherubim, I don't remember which one it is. Cherubim. Cherubim, okay? All right? And once a year, the chief priest will come in there with the blood of the sacrifice and spink, sprinkle the blood on the cover. Above that cover was the pillar of fire or pillar of smoke, being said it was day or night. Representation, okay, of God, the Father. As he looked down into the law and the sins of the people, all he saw was the blood covering the law. So we, we, some people talk about sin as if it's simply covered over, but here he tells us, cleanse, wash away. Thus, baptism is symbolic of not just covering sin. You know, we cover it up. We, all, we have no cover-ups in government or wherever. It's not covering up. It's not hiding it. It's cleansing it. It's washing it away as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Well, go west until you're going east. No, I'm always going west, but then I end up... Where does it start? Where does it stop? There's a song on that, right? God says, I will remember your sins no more. If they're cleansed, what sins are cleansed? My sins are cleansed. What ones? All of them up to a certain date when I went down to an altar call. He erased those, but any after that, he remembers. There, the eats is going to meet. No, 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 no. All my sins are washed away, they're gone, they're not to be remembered anymore, then why is it we insist on reminding ourselves of them? Why do we do that? We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. Okay, you've done some sin. You know you've done some sin. You know that God says, just repent, dude, because it's already taken care of. But, yeah, but, you know, I just did this thing and I need to feel bad about it for at least three days. I mean, Jesus was in the grave three days, so I got to feel about it, bad about it for three days. I, I got to beat myself up over it because it just seems wrong that I don't have to pay for my own sin. We, we even do that. So, so I sin against you. I sin and I sin against you. And I go to you and say, you know, I repent until God forgave me, so it's over with. And you want to go, oh, no, it doesn't. You hurt me. Wait, wait wait a minute. As you forgive, I'm sorry. Scripturally, it's over with. It's done. Before you did it, it was done. It was covered on the cross of Christ. Why do you have to think or feel like you have to take punishment for it, even if that punishment is punishing yourself? You're getting stuck with the Galatians, which, which we're doing on Wednesday night. Thinking for some reason, some work you do, the guilt you make yourself over three to four days, for some reason that's okay. Now, now if I go to him forgiveness, now it's okay. You're adding to the cross of Christ. You, you're saying my guilt does no, no, he took my guilt. Not only my sin, but my guilt. It never happened. I was never guilty of it. I know we tend to think, well, you know, those people over there, that group, they add to the gospel works. We do it in our attitude. Okay? He has cleansed it. It is gone. The other thing that stands out to me here, though, is the Pharisees and Sadducees themselves, who really, there was no real repentance. They came to be a part of the religious thing that's going on. Now, it may have been because of power. It may have been, well, man, if this is really a God thing, I I mean, maybe this this is a really thing happening in Israel, I I don't want to be the last on board. I don't know. But I think there's people sitting all over churches in the world, but particularly in the West. Okay, It's because in the West, we are Christian, right? Well, not. I mean, I know we're not, but that kind of idea. Church, Church is part of our world. I mean, even if you don't go, at least you know somebody that goes. So you go on Easter, you go on Christmas, you put a little manger out there at Christmas time. You know what I mean? And you might recognize that Easter is really about the resurrection, not a bunny. Okay. But but you can do the religious thing. Matter of fact, here's what happens: you hear of a tragedy. Let's say a prayer for. Her. And you might let her sit there in your car as you hear the news broadcast, or wherever you are, or on your phone nowadays. Okay, and you and you shoot up what you think is a prayer. Because it's a religious thing and, you know, who wouldn't want to pray for these poor people that this happened to? I mean, you don't want to be that kind of meanie, do you? You participate in this religiously realm and do religiously things even though you're not, maybe not a churchgoer. But there are many in the pews that do the same thing. They're going to baptism, John's baptism, because, you know, that's a religious thing going on until there's another religious thing going on. Okay? that doesn't make it real the real part is this when it's not John the Baptist and the baptism that you're coming for you're coming for the lamb the lamb who takes away took away in our perspective the sins of the world who, who, that's why I come I don't come because John's a good preacher and you know John had good music I don't know if, you know, the Bible says nothing about music, but I'm using that for example. Well, you know what, though? While they were there, they had a program for my kids, and so I could actually sit and listen to John. That ain't why they were coming. That's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. We come because it's the Lamb of God, it's His Lamb. He's the one that provided the Lamb for us because we ask. I don't know about you, I didn't live 2,000 years ago. I didn't ask then. Most people were not asking. Matter of fact, John starts with this. The light comes in the world, but but people love darkness rather than light. They're not asking for a lamb. They love it the way it is, but God, while you were yet a sinner, that lamb died for you. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You mean you didn't wait uh, till I actually come back and, and decided to ask your forgiveness, and then I spent some time in penance in some way making up for it? Then you say, "All right, then, I, then I'll send the lamb." I've used this analogy before. You come to my house, okay? You bring your younguns with you because we love your younguns. I know it's a southern term, children, and and your children are roughhousing and, in. And, and I'll say in, in the dining room where Kimberly has this cabinet full of neat stuff that I don't know why it's there, okay? All these pretty things. And your kids are roughhousing, and I'm watching. You, you're you not controlling your kids. You're letting roughhouse, And bang, into that china hutch, and I watch glass crumble. Oh, it's all right. It's, don't worry about it. It's all right. No, no big deal. It's all right. You're, all's forgiven. You go to walk out, and then I hand you a little piece of paper where I wrote some stuff on, and um, this is what the reimbursement is for those broken things. Was all forgiven? Uh-uh. Forgiveness is this. I mean, don't worry about it. No problem. And then Kim and I just go and replace it. We pay for what you did. That's a huge difference between what we call Forgiveness and repentance. I know people that's been mad at their uncle, their mom and dad, their kid, their brother, their whoever, for 20 years. Well, you got to forgive. Well, when they, well, if they would just come and say they're sorry, oh, I'm glad Jesus didn't work that way. I'm glad that all the way back in Genesis, the God says, I got a plan. It's a lamb. You don't know it yet, but I got a lamb. Yeah, you ate the fruit, but I'm providing the lamb. It is my sin. I am so glad that he did it all the way back then. And I don't get a little invoice saying, yeah, but see. And that includes feeling guilty is not on the list. There's no invoice that says you have to feel guilty. What you have to do is turn it back to Jesus Christ, the power and the glory of the cross. When you've done that, you go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Why am I sorry? Because you covered it. A long time ago, you took care of it before I had the thought, before the words came to my mouth, before I made the action, before I did it, you'd already covered it. How can that be? I cannot fathom it, but this I can do. I can praise you, God. I can give the glory back to God. Even when Satan thinks he's won, and temptation has come and I've faltered, watch me turn it into the praise and glory of God. Oh yeah, we're going to run right into that. In the temptation of Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God, for seen all the way in the book of Genesis, laid out for us in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, manifested to us in Christ our Savior. God, I cannot fathom that how before you created one thing you determined that you were going to provide the Lamb for my sin. It's beyond my ability to fathom. But God, as we walk out of this place, as those that are listening and watching, that today the voice of praise, as they give glory to God our Savior, our Redeemer and Maker, for the Lamb of God. We thank you, O God. We lift up your name. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho, 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.